Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. You've heard us talk about all the amazing books we've been able to listen to on Audible. Everything from fiction to sci-fi to true crime and more. Audible is the leader in the audiobook industry with a library of over 200,000 audiobooks. Start listening now by going to fearscapepodcast.com slash audible. Something dark is here, flying in the skies, lurking in the woodlands, swimming in the rivers, and hiding under your bed. Join me, Mark L. Watson, and Fearscape Media as we delve into the paranormal, the occult, the spiritual, and the esoteric, and peer beyond the veil. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts or search for more information at fearscapemedia.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Happy that you're able to join us as we continue to explore and try to understand the strange phenomenon that seems to exist all over the world. Stefan and I are on a journey, and we share that journey with you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another thoughtful yet satisfying episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined, as always, by my jolly-infused co-host, Mr. Josh Rutledge. How are you today, sir? I am doing fantastic. You know, it's it's funny when you said, uh, what was it, uh, thoughtful yet satisfying, it reminded me of the Lion King, you know, the slimy yet uh-huh. satisfying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So you picked up on what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a cool, cool. I'm not just going. We got a cool ass show tonight because uh, not only are we going to be talking about secret societies, which is a secret. Um, But we have a very special guest joining us to talk about secret societies, our favorite person in secret societies, Alan Greenfield. That's right. Author of The Secret uh, Cipher of the Euphonauts. Um, And of course, you know, our boy from Hellier, he's been on there. Well, and, and former member of the OTO. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and a member of the Masons. So uh, yeah. we're super excited to have Alan Greenfield back on the show. If um, you want to get to know him a little bit before, uh, go ahead and check out his book or go back and check Hellier or go ahead and check out our two part episode with Alan Greenfield way back sometime. <laughs> it's been a while now. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, we got a really fun show. I'm really looking forward to that. 
Um, but let's get cracking because I want to jump straight into this episode and get straight to the psychic word of the week. And now, the psychic word of the week. All right. The psychic word of the week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. Uh, the uh, use that I do is I flip through until I feel like I should stop and... Um, and here's the thing it keeps flipping I, like i have a page but it like keeps flipping like back a page so i'm gonna trust i'm gonna go back the page and go with that um so the uh the phrase the first one that popped in uh to my eyesight here was practical psychometry um, so we're going to go with that one. Uh, practical psychometry means to discern psychic information about an individual by holding an article, which the individual contacts frequently. Article is pressed on the forehead, solar plexus, or held between the palms of the hands of the psychic. It's like tuning into an extension of the individual through the psychometrist's hands to the individual's subconscious mind. Eyeglasses, wristwatch, wedding ring, or items worn daily are easiest to read. The collar of a dog is used to read for the dog. Emotional vibrations impregnate that which one wears or handles and holds fast if the same vibrations are repeated. Vibrations reveal the owner's health, work, characteristics, inclinations, problems of the past or present. Uh, future events cannot be detected as vibrations do not impregnate until they happen. So um, the, yeah, so the future is essentially a uh, vibrational prophylactic. <laughs> so, well, so it, it makes there me is think no impregnating. Of, yeah. Well, it makes me think of um, the, you know, like the dogs that they'll use for like law enforcement if they're trying to find somebody, you know, they'll hold up a piece of clothing or something that has their scent on it. Right. So the dogs can, can get a scent. It's kind of the same thing. You're it's just instead of a smell, you're using the energy right that's in the vibrational patterns yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um and I've seen this done. I, I never knew they were called psychometrists. I just thought they were like there's another there's another name that I've heard used for it um that I can't think of what it is. Um but yeah I've seen that before where they will they'll just hold a picture or watch and tell you yeah. about that or tell you about um and some can even use it as a way to uh connect to the spirit world to speak to those spirits so uh, i guess another facet of mediumship so to speak yeah it's still very very interesting and it in the way that that uh, definition is written i don't think it it ne doesn't necessarily imply that the person is deceased mm -hmm. right like it, it can be for deceased people, right? But mm -hmm. it can also just be to get a tell or a read on whatever is going on in that person's life. Right. I mean, pretty much what it's saying is is that it can only pick up on the vibrations of the past. Dead, alive, it doesn't matter. This object is going to carry the vibrations of the person that held it, touched it, shared its energy with. So that's, that's what they're going to be able to find out. So I think that's very cool. Thank you, Dr. Junji Bletzer. Uh, all right, Josh, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. Man, I'm so ready for Alan Greenfield. <laughs> like, all right, all right, all right, all right, I'm going, I'm going. We're going to move on. Stay on, on target. Next. Stay on target. Scripted of the week. Hi, y'all. 
It's the Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid of the Week. Thank you, Jersey Devil. We appreciate you allowing us to meet your friends. Uh, so who do we got this week uh, that we're going to be meeting? So in in honor of uh, the one and only Alan Greenfield that's coming on the show tonight, mm-hmm. I flipped to page 93 in my cryptid book. Which What's the name to, of that book again? It is Cryptid Creatures, A Field Guide by Kelly Milner Halls. Very cool. So, um, But anyway, so this happens to actually land on a page where it is like the start of a cryptid. And it's, uh, oddly enough, from Georgia is <laughs> where... so. That's um, hilarious. And the name of the cryptid is Hogzilla. Hogzilla. This is Keith. <laughs> um, actually, it, it makes me think of uh, of Brad, because wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, Bradzilla. That, yeah. So, yeah, this um, is just if he had a if he had a pet pig. It'd right. Be Hogzilla. Or if he was like if he had a motorcycle. Right. Right. That'd be his hogs. That's, I mean, yeah. he'll, he'd do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so um, uh, this actually start well, like first reported in 2004. Uh, Ooh, so fairly so, recent. Yeah, fairly new. I like that. Um, so Hogzilla was not the first giant hog to roam North America. The prehistoric pig Diodon uh, Shoshanicious. That, uh, uh, God bless you and thank you for sharing yeah. the Pokemon. <laughs> Lived 29 to 19 million years ago in the late Oligene, Oligocene. And mere, oh my God, these people! It, it lived a long time ago. All right, thank it, you. A long ass thank time. Thank you. Ago. I don't. I don't think super scientists are listening to the show, anyways. <laughs> so I think you're good. Um, it was approximately seven feet tall and the shoulders as much as twelve feet long. It weighed nearly half a ton. But the eyewitness accounts uh, got here was says Christopher Columbus brought pigs to the Americas from Spain 500 years ago but couldn't have imagined they'd one day evolve to predatory hybrids running wild in rural uh, the rural south. Mm. But hunting guide and eyewitness Chris Griffin could testify to their modern day enormity. He shot the first uh, documented pig slash wild boar hybrid dubbed Hogzilla at his boss Ken Hollyoaks fish farm and hunting reserve uh, in Alapaha Alapaha, Georgia, in 2004. He says, The plantation owner said he'd seen him several times. Griffin said in a radio interview, he set out to bag it himself. Once Griffin shot it, measured it, and passed it for a photo, he buried it. <laughs> now, if he didn't set that sucker on fire in the ground and make a freaking uh, Hawaiian <laughs> really? luau pig barbecue, really? then what a waste. The hog was old and meat was no good he said and the head was too big and too expensive to mount so i mean it, it got some uh, this is unfortunate because they have a little picture of what baby hogzilla looks like and it's so freaking cute it's like piglet yeah it's like well it has like a weird shaped snout but yeah um so what it doesn't have here is so we talked about the prehistoric hogzilla but it doesn't give any details around the size of the hogzilla well, I would assume it's probably similar, especially if, you know, our sighting is yeah. recent, 2004. I'm, I'm sure it's very, very similar. But, you know, I've, I've actually heard about that. Like, the the pigs in the south 
are really like a problem. Yeah. Well, like, I didn't I didn't know that that boars didn't uh boars and pigs weren't natural to the United States. Yeah. I, I actually that. knew that cuz I watched a documentary a few years ago that talked about how wild boars and pigs are basically destroying the land in the south cuz they rut up everything mm-hmm. and so you can't plant or any of that kind of stuff and they do get like in the in the documentary that I watched a few years ago they had one on video that was like stood from you know from the ground up like five foot five inches tall that's mm-hmm. a big freaking pig I mean that's like <laughs> you wouldn't no. want to meet that in <laughs> meat <laughs> like some some people have even speculated that um, there's a, like an older cryptid type video going around from like L.A. where there's like this kid is exploring a a, a drainage tunnel. And it comes across these two glowing eyes and the pit, you know, almost near pitch black. Mm-hmm. And then it starts making this squealing noise. And people have speculated that that was a potentially a, a wild boar that was in LA County. And somebody had said, well, the, the eyes were too high for it to be a pig. But again, you have to think about the size that these things get. So, I mean, it could right. have definitely been that. So, yeah. well, I mean, if Christopher Columbus had never brought pigs over, Ned Beatty would have never had to squeal like a pig. He'd have been squealing <laughs> like something else. It's gonna make you squeal like a chipmunk. So, Christopher Columbus brought uh, disease and pigs, apparently. Yes, and did. yes, and so much more. Um, the other thing I was gonna say about pigs that's very, very interesting, which to me, this you know i can feed into this evolution theory is is pigs evolve fast like they can evolve within their life if a domesticated pig gets loose within a week uh, i saw this documentary with on within a week it'll grow hair it'll grow tusks and be completely undomesticated for the rest of its life that within a week it de-evolves or evolves whichever way you want to look at it back into a boar uh, within a week of being out in the wild. So that is definitely a Pokemon that you need because it will upgrade <laughs> fast. Yep. So, but yeah, that is something about pigs is that they are one of the few animals that can, uh, you know, evolve or de-evolve with, without yeah. generations. Like they, it can happen now and it happens wow. fast. That's why when a pig gets loose, they send out search parties you know to go find it because if not it won't be des- it won't be domesticated anymore after well, about a week then, or so then babe must have been like a super pig because a babe a pig in the city was loose for like a couple weeks and he still stayed a pig well you well he was in the city so maybe he was like evolving into you know human like he was oh. evolving into wc fields like, <laughs> like that's where he was headed right <laughs> so but in the wild he's you know turning into a wild dog you know more so it's different than a dog. Uh, anyways, all right. So that's our cryptid of the week uh, was Hogzilla. Uh, and uh, y'all be careful uh, because Toei does not like you using their names. So I'm just letting you know, don't careful. Uh, anyways, let's go ahead and move on and get to our UAP sighting of the week. Josh, what do we have for our unidentified aerial phenomena UFO sighting of the week? Yeah, so before I picked the cryptid of the week, I picked Georgia again in in honor of Mr. Greenfield that's coming on tonight, and uh, and then the, the cryptid ended up being from Georgia too, right? So, which you know, is hilarious, yeah. Right. 
So um, this comes from Cordell, Georgia. Uh, this happened on um, January 13th, 2021 at approximately 9 to 15 at night. I've been to Cordell. Nice little, little, little town. Just a little stopover. My dad and I used to go there on the way to Florida. We'll stay at the Motel 6. <laughs> I feel like I've probably drove driven through it. On it's the way right off Florida, of 75. But... I mean, it's yeah. like right off 75. So, but, uh, so it goes a little something like this. A triangular-shaped, huge object the size of a football field hovered just above the treetops with flashing red lights. It made no sound and then vanished. Approximately 10 minutes later, what looked like the same or an identical object hovered over my house, moved very slowly, and disappeared again. Approximately 10 minutes later, we saw what appeared to be the same object but was miles away in the sky, and we recorded that on video. You can only see the red flashing lights from the video. Red flashing light. I mean, it, it's freaking huge, dude. To mm-hmm. be, I mean, in to be football shaped, like football field size over top of your house. I mean, that's that's massive. Like, I'm like, I want to like, know. I'm like, did it block out the whole sky? That, that's what I was like. It must have like blocked out it, the sun. Yeah, was it like it, what's in the middle? Like nine fifteen at night, so there's no sun. But you know, still. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, that's well, and. You know, it, it's it's like it goes along with the theory that I, I can't remember if I sp- expressed it on here or not, but I know I expressed it to you in Santosh's. Um, do these things operate like do they operate? Do they operate more freely at night um, because they don't have to use as much technology to hide their appearance? Right. Right. Yeah. That you know, it's interesting because I. Th- I don't know if you and I talked about that or if I talked to Marsha Berry from the uh, Arizona MUFON uh, or not about that. But, uh, you know, that that's something that has come out of my mouth recently was talking about is one of the reasons they show up at night is that it's easier to hide. Yeah. But then it's like, why put bright lights on? Right. I I don't know. Well, I mean, I I think it. So part of me says that they put lights on their craft so that other like I guess, for lack of a better word, human craft, because we don't know what they are, right? So I'm just going to say known craft. Let's say known craft. So other known craft can know that they're there and they don't just have like a midair collision. Sure. Yeah. If they're, if, you know, we always assume that they're super fast or hypersonic or something like that. But maybe they move the speed of a helicopter and they don't want a helicopter hitting them. Well, and, or, you know, and again, if, if they really are, um, you know, not meaning us any harm then it would make sense that they would try to at least make themselves somewhat visible, mm-hmm. you know, at least from the eye, so that if you're flying a, a, an airplane or something, you don't run into it. So, Right. Because that would be bad. Yeah. Know. I mean, a goose could take down an airplane, as we discussed last well, week. Well, I mean, so. you know, here's a, here's another example. You know, there's a, there's a lot of theory that, you know, ETs use our world as a zoo, right? That they come to look at us that we're a zoo, um, or even like a nature documentary. And if you think about it, you know, you got these nature documentaries building. Like I just watched this thing the other day on tree frogs. Okay. You think about the size of a human versus a tree frog. There's a guy, probably a whole crew, microphones, cameras, probably got blinking lights all over it. Right. They're not, 
you know, to the frog, they're like, holy crap. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, and it, it, but we don't give a shit. We're not like, well, we don't want it to know that we're here. We, we better cover these lights. Like, yeah. the, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, maybe there's some of that, but this could be the same thing. It's like nighttime is just when the park is open. And yeah. it's, it's like, that's when they go out and you just kind of got to be quiet and be as stealthy as you can. Cause if you do, you're going to, you're going to ruffle the feathers of the humans yeah. down there and they're going to run off and freak out. So what you're telling me is, is that there's a Steve Irwin type guy. That's like what we have here is a North American male mm -hmm. sleep snug in his bed. And we are going to shake his house with a sonic boom and watch him react. Yeah. But he's pretty much made of jello or something. Oh, okay. Or just or, energy or, or something. Yeah. That's <laughs> essentially what it boils down to. Um, but yeah, still very, very interesting. I, you know, I had, you know, one of my early UAP sightings was a big rectangular, um, you know, UAP that was above my house that was huge. I wouldn't say a football field, but I would at least say half a football field. So I can slightly imagine that, but still. Mm -hmm massive and i want to see video they said they got video of it i want to see it they do yeah but you know what like i've talked about before new fork is uh not always the best about making those videos available so yeah i'll have to go and check MUFON and see if they reported it there too and then yeah. maybe they have the video so cool all right well let's move on and uh let's get to our final segment before we get to ag himself uh let's get into some creepy ketchup Creepy Ketchup, Creepy Ketchup, Creepy Ketchup, Y'all, it's creepy. All right, um, so Creepy Ketchup, gotta be honest, haven't had anything super creepy happen to me, um, though I have been digging into the deep web again, which is always scary, um, looking up, you know, paranormal, different stuff, UFO-related yeah. stuff, and uh, been going down some rabbit holes, but, you know, <laughs> haven't had any men in black show up at my door, so I feel like I guess I'm just looking at old stuff, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, so I have had a little bit of creepy ketchup in that, um, like last Saturday, I made um, a proclamation, if you will, for myself and said, hey, I'm no longer going to look for evidence that I have psychic gifts. I'm just going to accept that I have them mm -hmm. and then move forward. So I made that statement. And ever since then, I've seen all kinds of stuff and had all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Happen. So like I've, I saw, uh, so I was uh, standing at my counter making coffee and I saw a person in a gray shirt walk by my kitchen bay window. Like I stepped outside to see if there was like the meter guy or something. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the water company, dude. <laughs> Nobody there. And I have a motion camera on the corner of my house and it was walking towards that direction. So like it would have gone off and pinged me, you know, saying, Hey, you got motion at your at your garage. So there's that. I've seen um in the office that I work in, uh, there's like no light from outside in that office because I've got curtains and stuff to try to keep it mm -hmm. warm mainly and, and keep the noise down. And um I've been catching shadows left and right like all around me moving around me uh, uh flashes of light on the wall and stuff like that that again there's nowhere for it to reflect off of or any of that kind of stuff um just a bunch of noises in the in the house like when my kids are at school and there's like the heat's not running or anything just kind of random papers shuffling and stuff like mm. that kind of noises 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, the light in the bathroom, like flickering, just like, and it's an LED bulb. It's not like it, you know, they either work or they don't. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so all of that kind of stuff, uh, again, mainly since I uh, made that proclamation. And then I'm continuing down with the whole uh, gateway experience stuff and just continue to have just some really crazy dreams, like the dream that I had last night of I was staying with these people that I've never seen before in my life. And the father of the family was turning into a werewolf and trying to eat everybody. Oh, that's healthy. Yeah. So we were like trying to run, run and get away. And uh, my, my, my dog, who's, who's been dead for a year and a half, showed up and he was like uh, dragging a, a werecat behind him. <laughs> so he, Go, Eli! <laughs> so like use the werecat to distract the werewolf. It was just <laughs> weird, but yeah, so just all kinds of crazy dreams like that. So that's that's basically what I've had going on in my creepy catch-up. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, uh, if things have been happening, I started a new job recently, so I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. Um, not paying attention. I had to take a break from the gateway experience because I was like, I don't want to have that going on while I'm trying to get up super early for this new job. That's all I need. And so, yeah, I've had to take a break from that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I, I, I've been, and I guess I'm in that position where I shouldn't be. I'm like, I want to see some stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I haven't seen anything. So not even my dreams. My dreams have been pretty normal. I had a sad dream last night that I like just like discovered a family that was like I was really close to when I was a kid that I had just randomly apparently forgotten about and then I like all these memories came flooding back and they're like we've always wondered what happened to you and you always used to come over and you were like one of our family and then you just disappeared I'm like I'm so sorry I forgot about and like I woke up like all crying that's what Mm. that's what's going on with me sappy catch up that's what's going on with me and and the mom in that looked like uh i don't remember which one the not don knots the other one on three's company his wife <laughs> so i don't remember oh. if it was roper or furley i can't remember who's who all of a sudden but his don, wife was the mom in that <laughs> so, don, yeah don knots was roper was he was ropey yeah. rope yeah. rope rope okay then it was Mr. mrs furley is who was the mother in that dream um, of mine and I hugged on Mrs. Furley for quite a while but yeah anyways uh, let's go ahead and get to um, Mr. Reverend Dr. Suffragette Bishop uh, Anglican Minister to Alan Greenfield <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after an ad break hey everybody Stefan here this episode is sponsored by the great folks over at Box Mountain Box Mountain is a subscription box service that has my favorite sub box yet, the Cryptid Crate. You see, Josh got one of these for his birthday, and I was super jealous because it was packed full of merchandise pertaining to cryptids. The box he received first was all about the Flatwoods Monster, which of course is one of our favorites. And it had a t-shirt, a book, a patch, mug, and some awesome stickers. So I checked out the price to get one for myself, and let me tell you, it is well worth the value. These make excellent gifts for yourself or even friends that are cryptid lovers as well. 
Now, if you use the coupon code FEARSCAPE, you will get 25% off the first month for any new subscription or 10% off individual purchases. So go ahead and head on over to FearscapePodcast.com slash CryptidCrate now and get yourself one today. Hey everyone, Ray Robinson here, host of the Unsensitive Podcast. You're probably wondering, what does unsensitive mean? Well, it's a completely made-up word to define a topic that is insensitive to talk about at family gatherings and parties, but you talk about them anyway. It's a podcast that you can send your most clueless family members to save them the embarrassment of asking these questions themselves. New episodes drop every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., part of the Fearscape Media Network, because quite honestly, what's scarier than facing your own misconceptions about the world around you? All right, we are back. Thank you guys for sticking around after the break. We have the voluptuous Alan Greenfield here with us like we promised. <laughs> and uh, and I, I know I used a descriptive word that requires sight and you're listening, but still, if you could see what I could see. Who lordy. Oh, lordy, oh, lordy, lordy. lordy. But no, thank you. Lordy, Thanks for don't desert me now. <laughs> Thank you, Alan, for joining us again, man. It's been it's been great to have you back. I am delighted to be here. You uh, guys almost laugh at my uh, deranged sense of rumor. And that's yeah. what it's about tonight, right? Oh, yes, yeah, right. yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about secret societies. They're so secret that we have a list of them. <laughs> so I, I was thinking that uh, being that tonight we're talking about secret societies and we have uh, the great Mr. Alan Greenfield, Dr. Alan Greenfield on the call. We should take our listeners uh, through some sort of an initiation to get the, to get this started, I think. So everybody <laughs> take uh, off your pants. Um, <laughs> wait, is this not Boy Scouts? Because that's what our name is. <laughs> oh, too, <laughs> too, too far. Too hey, far. I was in Boy Scouts. I can hey, I was a Boy Scout, too. <laughs> yeah, so was I. So was I. So. But no. See, there's a conspiracy. Yep. It's a three-degree system. Right? <laughs> you know, tenderfoot, yep. first class, second class, third class. Yep. And then you start to get those uh, merit badges. And then they take you here in Georgia out to Camp Bird Adams to find out what it's really all about. <laughs> I remember my my eldest son, the movie maker, uh, Alex. Uh, I he, we went on a father son hike to Camp Bird Adams uh, with his. He was uh, uh, Order of the Arrow in the Cub Scouts and was considering being a Boy Scout. And at some point during the night, we wandered over to some other. Uh, Scoutmaster's uh, gathering of his troops. And he was hazing people by uh, looping a, a rope around their foot and hoisting them up in a tree by a branch oh of the God. tree. So he did not become a Boy Scout. <laughs> Yeah, really. Dad, I said they're not all like this. So my troop was never like this, but it was really scary, and I was moved to, you know, should I uh, yeah, intervene my... here or get reinforcements? <laughs> all, all I remember about Boy Scouts is um, the the snipe hunting was always epic. So. <laughs> Good old snipe hunting. Ah, uh, did you ever catch a snipe? No. Well, you know, I, we usually used a Girl Scout camp. Actually, it's a interesting uh, 
uh, Amerindian place because there's a thing called Rock Eagle, and it's called Rock Eagle Camp, uh, but it was Girl Scout Camp. So we were doing Girl Scouting, as it were, uh, mm. in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> There was a merit badge for that, but you couldn't wear it. Uh, not <laughs> so-called scored, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, then. So, <clears throat> all right. So, uh, I've got a. I, I went out and compiled the list of what I think are the top nine. I felt like I had to have nine. So you know the significance of nine and whatnot. And so uh, just going to talk through them here and uh, weigh in as we go. So. Right. So, yeah, what we're looking at here is not necessarily a history of secret societies, but just kind of like a uh, quick study on a couple. Yeah. Of them, correct. An introduction to nine, let's say. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Before you the go nine. there, let me, I mean, I don't know if this will interfere with the list because I don't know what's on the list because my preference is always not to know what I'll be asked about. But I wanted to make that distinction between two very different kinds of secret societies. One are those that are secret mystical societies that supposedly through initiation uh, raise your level of consciousness and they are secret for for varying reasons some of them uh, perhaps justifiable i I'm, secrecy is the enemy of the truth as far as i'm concerned but uh some of them are just to make it mysterious then there are the group of things that are genuinely secret societies that nevertheless are political in nature and they're a lot scarier yes. because uh, I remember the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, 2000 and whenever uh, uh, Bush and uh, Bush Jr. and uh, um, John Kerry were running against each other. And it transpired mm -hmm. that they were both bonesmen yep. from the Skull and Bones Society. And each of them was asked, totally separately, of course, um, so would you tell us about it? And they both said, uh, it is a secret society. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as was, of course, Bush Sr. And man, the more and more I'm digging in stuff, he was apparently a part of a couple secret societies. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And his father, uh, Senator Bush, uh, the elder, mm -hmm. Um, his father was a uh, member of the Skull and Bones as well. So it's well, a family tradition, as it yep, were. Yep, yep, yep. Well, so they're on the list, but the number four, we got to get through three others before we get there. <laughs> so, so I, and, and thanks for the distinction there, Alan. And I, and I do have, um, I do have a mixture of the two types that you, you know, kind of mentioned there. So it's, it's important, I think, that when we go through the ones that are the first type, the, the enlightenment type, that we, you know, just call those out. But there, I do have a couple on the list. And like you said, it's not necessarily, everybody thinks about secret societies in the, like you said, the secret mean is the, you know, the, the enemy of the truth. But um, there are some things that are secretive, uh, not because they're trying to, you know, rule the world or whatever. Just but they have information that is really meant for the people who put in the time and effort to uh, to, to to want to know more about that 
you know, whatever it is. So, right. Well, and you've got some of those secret societies blur the line between a society and say a cult or a religion, you know, and especially, you know, you get into that first enlightenment type. I mean, I think immediately of like Gardneri and Wicca, you know, I'm, I, I came into the guard practice. And so there's things that I'm oath bound. I don't talk about, right. Uh, is that religion? Is it society? You know, there's these different things. So some of these things will blur that line, I think yeah. of religion. And then some of the things you think about the Masonic order and uh, some of these other societies and then shit, the stuff that they do supposedly runs into ritual magic yeah. and practice. And then we're, so, we're in that line. So, so well, so in Gardner's day, if you were explicit about the degrees, particularly the third degree and the great right, which mm -hmm. I won't describe, not because I'm under any oath <laughs> or even believe in oaths, you know, except to the Constitution or well, we're, we're kind of shattered because <laughs> aren't we under martial law? QAnon says so. And yes, yes. They're yes. not a secret society. It's one guy in St. Petersburg, Russia. Yeah. But I, oh, I didn't say that. I'm no, sorry. No. That was said by somebody interfering on the line. You must be a freaking vampire. I already know it. I already know it. That's the only reason you'd say that. Or a lizard person. Or a lizard person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am a lizard person because I'm Jewish. And if you take the oh. word... If you take the word reptilian and substitute the word Jew, you will find that all the old canards about Jews, you know, whenever there was a plague, the Jews poisoned the well, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. They're all the same things that get regurgitated in the reptilian circles. So that in a secret society, that's just a bunch of anti-Semitic idiots yeah, I didn't know using that. a I new drink. I didn't realize You're exactly that. the same word for word, oh my except goodness. they say it's the reptilians. It's like there used to be a, a political group that uh, I forget the name of it, and probably that's for the best. But they would use the word British to mean Jews. Now, don't ask me what that means, because... <laughs> <laughs> there aren't that many British Jews. But anyway, yeah, I, no, I, I get that. Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is the Jewish space laser is actually a reptilian space laser in today's vernacular. <laughs> oh, it, yes. It's it's reptilian and the uh, Jews get a lot of bad, bad press because of what those evil reptilians are doing. Oh, but, yeah, interesting. But interesting. we are forgiven because the Pope said we didn't kill Jesus. Good. I'm At least good. I did. But, uh, <laughs> I was out of the country at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been before COVID when there was I was in a thing. different Roman province. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First on the list, we're Knights Templar. Oh, perfect. Perfect start. Yep. So this is the Knights probably... of the Columbus, right? Is what... <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not Knight, Knights of Columbus. Come on now. <laughs> no, Knights Templar, you know, going this is like the Holy Land and the Crusades and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So um, and, and probably there have been numerous documentaries and all this kind of stuff that talks about the Knight Templar. And of course, they got really famous a few years ago when Dan Brown did his book around the whole you know, secret of Mary, uh, you know, having Spoiler another kid. Alert. Spoiler. Yeah. Oh, whatever. She code. <laughs> Look, if somebody was going to watch it, you're going to watch it by now. Come on. It was son of Jesus this goes son. to France and founds the Merovingian dynasty, yes. which was a 
course, overthrown by the Carolinians 500 years later. And nevertheless, you know the fleur-de-lis, if you look at it properly, looks exactly like a Star of David, only it doesn't. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's right. It looks like right. a fleur-de-lis, which is a flower. Yep. Yeah. My non-French uh, speakers, medieval my, French. My favorite uh, Knights Templar documentary has to be Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. That's probably my favorite. That, by, is, by far the that is the true one. You see, yeah. all the other stories about the Templars are not true. But Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I saw that in a class in graduate school at the University of Arizona. Ergo, it's the real deal. Hey, Why man, would they show it otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I always thought it was so uh, we could talk we could talk through the Knights Templar stuff. But I mean, basically, they go off to the Holy Land. They fight for a bunch of people. They come back. The church hates them. And they just uh, kill them all in, you know, like a five second uh, synopsis. But why it's first on the list for me is that it, it directly relates to the next one on my list, which is the Freemasons, which is the one. Uh, I really well, well, let's start with the Templars because yeah, okay. the Freemasons uh, claim descent from the Templars. And in fact, there's a Templar degree in uh, several different rites of Freemasonry. In fact, technically, I'm a Templar because I hold the Knight Kadosh degree in the ancient order of antiquity that I used to mistakenly be in thinking that it knew something. But that's not important right now. What is important is the Templars started out in the first crusade, which was at the turn of the millennium, mm -hmm. first millennium, uh, to guard the roads uh, so that Christian pilgrims could make it to Jerusalem and back uh, alive. Uh, and uh, they, at that time, under their first grandmaster, seemed to have done a pretty good job at that. And then along, uh, the first crusade was the only really successful crusade. So uh, essentially they and other uh, crusaders uh, took over uh, although they were, you know, answerable to European powers and especially to to uh, the Pope, um, especially the Templars who had a special oath of allegiance to the Pope as opposed to the King of France or mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, yeah. they, they ruled uh, uh, the Holy Land for a hundred years until Saladin came along and said, uh, 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 uh. No, no, no. But supposedly they found the Ark of the Covenant and right. this, and oh, yeah. that, of, all you know, kinds of relics, and yeah, took it back to France when the when the Crusaders. Uh, actually, they were the last to hold out in in Accra, um, a spooky city, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, apparently, they slowly retreated. They were given one island after another, and then the Muslim armies would move in, and they'd be go to another island. I think they ended up back in France, and yep. they were given special rights uh, to do banking, just yep. as the Jews were. And of course, people who loan money 
if that's the only profession they have, are apt to have a lot of people in debt to them who possibly resent them. I don't know. I just don't pay them. <laughs> take, take that out, guys. Take it out. Take it out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, so at the height of their power, uh, they owned like the island, the island of Cyprus. They had a fleet of ships. Uh, they lent money uh, when the you know crusades uh, you know were happening. I mean, they, so you're right. They, you know, then they left and, and went back to uh, to France. And uh, pretty much picked up their, you know, the whole uh, banking industry. And that was around the 1300s or so when all of this was Correct. Yep. And uh, at that point, they had incurred both the wrath and the envy of the French uh, king. And apparently at that point, uh, Catholic politics being what it was in the Middle Ages, the King of France basically controlled the papacy, so he got the Pope to agree to issue a ban on them. And uh, they were all arrested on the Friday the 13th, yeah. a day that oh, will oh, live oh, in yes. infamy. No, 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 that's the wrong president. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, it, it's. I think it's interesting because they refer to that as the Black, Black Friday, yet we jokingly refer to Black Friday from like the day after Thanksgiving when we get to spend a lot of money so well that's what america is all about spend it put it on your credit card and don't worry about the templars they're all dead (laughs) don't worry about the templars (laughs) i do like the other names that uh they were known for which was the poor fellow soldiers of christ and of course the order of solomon's temple yada yada stuff like that um i think you know order of christ itself was just in there stuff like that so they, they were very and of course, the the I think one of the big symbols that came out of them was, of course, the cross of Lorraine, Lorraine, Lorraine. Right? Is that the red one? Lorraine. Yeah, Lorraine. That, and I thought that was Joan of Arc's uh, great symbol when she uh, yeah. persuaded the English to uh, leave France. Uh, but uh, that. I mean, it's it's a basic French symbol. It was yeah. a French symbol of the French underground, the Marquis during World War Two as well. So, but the the point is that later organizations, the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, etc., uh, adapted. We are descended from the Knights Templar. There was a group of Templars in England. In fact, there's. Uh, uh, a Templar temple in London, in the middle of London. You can go there. The, the building is still there. And the English crown and especially the Scottish uh, government were uh, reluctant to suppress the Templars because they didn't see them doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And apparently they didn't owe them any money. So uh, <laughs> they, they survived there long after um uh, long after they had been exterminated in France and Germany and the rest of the Holy Roman Empire, as it was called, uh, famously neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Nor an empire. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's, well, it's France. It, it's funny. I, I was uh, when I was looking at the, the Cross of Lorraine. I, I, I found that you know we were talking uh, two episodes back. We had uh, Johnny e. L. Tenney on, and we were talking about some of this stuff that, that shows up in advertising and um the claw, the cross of lorraine is used in the exxon mobile um logo 
Nabisco uh, has it in their logo, and it's actually stamped on every Oreo cookie. I mean, technically Red Cross, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I have eaten the Cross of Lorraine repeatedly. Repeatedly. Yes, that that I mean, is okay. I've, I've even dunked it in milk. So <laughs> <laughs> that is Heretic. your that Heretic. is my Eucharist, boy. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, you Especially know, I, the double stuffed. Oh, there's know, so I, much uh, holy in that. Oh, that yeah. is. That will uh, put you in direct communion with See, the divine. Anybody yeah. who's Jesus will say, "Can I have one?" You know, <laughs> See, I mean, anybody who's listening, who's like a exec at Oreo, I'm telling you right here, double decker Oreo. So cookie, cream, cookie, cream, cookie, make that happen. That will sell like hotcakes. I'm just gonna put together my own box. Copyright that. <laughs> and then and then uh, call you know, them so- three call them three Storios. Or, <laughs> or do like uh, do cookie That's not cream, bad. cookie cream, cookie cream, cookie, dip the whole thing in fudge. <laughs> I mean, are you fucking hungry right now, Jack? <laughs> no, sort he's of. Uh, one of those people that belongs to death by chocolate. It's yes. a suicide <laughs> pact that uh, you don't actually die, but you. Oh, it's to die for, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, and I'm and I'm slightly allergic to chocolate too, so it's you know it's double edged sword. So nice. Wow. All right. So, uh, moving on from Knights Templar. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the coverage. Sorry that I was going to skip them, um, but uh, Freemasons is next on my list, and I've always had a really big interest in Freemasons. Number one, because well, I guess two two reasons. One. My dad and grandfather are both uh, have always been in the Masonic Lodge. My grandfather was <clears throat> has like always been in a leadership role, the Grand Pumba or Pumba or whatever it's called, and all that kind of stuff for Kentucky. Um, and then two, uh, the National Treasure movies with Nicolas Cage uh, <laughs> and the amount of attention and stuff that it puts. I mean, it just they they just entice me for some reason. So. For me, from hell, man. That's what that's what it gives me. Jack the Ripper being a Mason. That's... Freemasonry has changed so much over the centuries that it's impossible to say very much, other than that they were called Freemasons. Because uh, in the seven, early 1700s, it was basically a group of arrest, aristocrats uh, in England that met in a pub. Uh, probably with some libations to the gods, you know, and Mm -hmm. decided on the rules for Freemasonry. None of them were Masons, but they said they were uh, not operative Masons, as in people who make bricks and build buildings, uh, but but are speculative Masons, meaning they they use the tools of the the, uh, working masons but not getting their hands dirty and then a lot of uh, a lot of people who wanted to be influential with the aristocracy were allowed to join and that's where the main body of freemasonry came from of course there are other bodies that like the memphis mitzvah and egyptian right and uh all kinds of things that uh, have certain similar rituals but that are, are in, 
very different. In fact, the ancient order of antiquity of which I was a member, if you took out the name Baphomet and which by the way is a Templar thing, some mm -hmm. Templar being tortured was trying to say the word Mohammed, mispronounced it, said ba -ba Baphomet, we worship Baphomet, meaning they worship Mohammed because maybe they take the thumb screws off or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I saw that about the Templars that they, that there was that they found things about Baphomet in the, the temple on the mound and stuff. Yeah, but it would yeah. be, it, it's a, a corruption of the name Mohammed. And people in that period in Europe were so ignorant about their opposition in the Middle East that they probably would have mispronounced it, especially under the kind of torture that was used yeah. to get true confessions. For, oh, that's the name of a magazine. True confessions. <laughs> Well, you could also argue, though, that uh, that the uh, Freemasons that you talked about, you know, the, arist the aristocrat folks, they did work with bricks, but their bricks were made of flesh and they uh, worked every day. And that and that they manipulated people to build the society is what I'm getting at there. So I didn't know that. That's shocking. <laughs> I thought they were a proto-union of trade workers, but hey, your story sounds better and <laughs> like the late, the late Jim Wasserman's book on the Templars, uh, you can make anything seem plausible if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my friend uh, uh, Craig Heimbickner once wrote a book called Blood on the Altar where he said the ancient order of antiquity to which I and Wasserman belong, we were the secret leaders who were out to overthrow the world. And I thought, are we? Good grief. <laughs> Wasserman and I won't even stay in the same room together. When he died, I, I confess <laughs> that in my head I was hearing, ding dong, the witches did. <laughs> but uh, so I enlightened Craig, and he wrote another book, which was very interesting because, uh, like your family, um, I have a lot of people of the older generation in my family that were members of the local Masonic Lodge because every town in the Southeast yeah. had a Masonic Lodge before television, before, right. you know, widescreen right. movie, before, before any of the diversions, the internet, anything that people actually do now. And uh, it was just, it's what men did on Saturday nights. So uh, my father was not a member. He was a member of the B'nai B'rith, which is a whole different story. It actually well, does run the world, but that's not important. It's <laughs> not important that B'nai B'rith runs the world. It's just important that you not know it. So Okay. Well, I, I don't know what you're talking about, so there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I was thinking... Think the other... of the Knights of Columbus and then think of the Jewish version of the Knights of Columbus and that's the B'nai B'rith. It's a real okay. organization. <clears throat> so um, Really, I wouldn't make that up. My <laughs> father was in Gate City Lodge. You can look it up, I guess. I believe you. I believe you. No, I believe you. No, so I, I, just was, I, just, I, had a, I had a point I was trying to make and I was, didn't want to lose it. So uh, um, one of the things that I was uh, talking to somebody else about is that uh, it seems like as um, the internet has uh, blown up, it seems like enrollment in uh, or whatever pledging for the Freemasons has gone down. 
it, if you think that a lot of the Masonic Lodge is meant for uh, that socialization and, and camaraderie, and if you get that now more easily than needing to go and belong to a lodge via social media or whatever the case may be, maybe that's why their membership numbers have slacked off. I agree with that. You see a lot less younger people at like Shriner things at, at Mason sponsored events, uh, things, any of those kind of like, you know, those lodges that Fred Flintstone was in, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> like that. Yeah. You, you do, you see a lot water less buffalo. younger people. Yeah. The water buffaloes. That's what yeah. it was. The loyal order of the water buffaloes. Um, yes. But yeah, you don't see that. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right. But to me, that makes it now more mysterious because it isn't everybody in it now. Like it's kind of giving it mystery again. Well, and it makes me wonder, I mean, I, I would assume that uh, even let's, let's take the conspiracy theorist part for a moment and say that that freemason folks in freemasons do know secrets of the world let's just assume that there are folks in, in the order that that know secrets of the world i would imagine that that circle is as a as a whole of the entire organization is probably very very small as opposed to everybody on the on the outside circles that are actually meeting in lodges on saturday nights or helping with fish fries and things like that they're they, those folks don't know the secrets of the world so to speak mm-hmm. that's that circle is really really small and at the center of the organization i would think i don't know if it's at the center it's a part of the organization and has been from day one i think there are masonic secrets uh, i think i know there are masonic secrets that are known to a lesser number of people but during uh one of the many uh upsurges against freemasonry uh, the uh, rituals that were at one time uh, had millions of followers, they would modify them. In the 1820s, the second largest political party in the United States was the Anti-Masonic Party. Hmm. And that was based on the fact that almost everybody that was in the government was a Freemason. And for people who weren't, it was considered some sort of a subversive thing, particularly after some ex-Mason exposed the rituals of that time, a guy named Morgan, and he got murdered uh, and his body dumped in Canada, an upstate New York lodge. And that set off a, 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 a whole storm of controversy because it sounded like they were, you know, that was the, the oaths are in fact blood oaths in all of these societies if you take them literally you know if if i betray this oath and betray the order may my head be severed from my body and blah 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 stuff that you know if they actually did it uh well maybe in the 1820s but if they did it now they would be uh, up up the creek and paddleless uh, to paraphrase the well-known friend. Uh, anyway, eight, uh, uh, about 20 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, condemned Freemasonry as a, uh, a demonic organization. And Southern jurisdiction in the United States of regular uh, uh, Freemasonry is the largest jurisdiction in the world. At that time, it was about a million people. And they were distressed because the vast majority of them were members of the Baptist Church. So they were suddenly in a conflicting situation. So they came up with things like they would bring the families to uh, 
sort of rituals yeah. where G Jesus would rise up from the floor and bless the people and all kinds of things that seemed uh, uh, totally unlike their rituals. Uh, they were attacked for using uh, the uh, King James Bible as temple furniture, not as <laughs> holy scripture. But I even knew people that have... Uh, they will uh, uh, in the uh, Shriners. They swear on the Quran, but they're they're not uh, Muslims. Well, not most of them, anyway. That's just uh, they're they're trying very, very hard to do uh, Oriental shtiklok, which I can't translate because I'm not sure there is a translation. Uh, stuff stuff that seems you know from the Middle East and Lawrence of Arabia and all that. Well, so it's changed, but there are bodies like uh, the uh, affiliation I have with the ancient and primitive rite of Memphis et Misraim, which is originally a French rite. Actually, it's originally an Egyptian rite. That's why it's called the Egyptian rite. Um, that have the same things that were in the original. And they're not secret. Uh, or my book, uh, uh, what was it called? The Complete Rite of Memphis would probably have wound me up uh, right. with Morgan over the Canadian border. <laughs> right. And I noticed, yeah, you, you talk about Morgan a bit in the Complete Cipher as well. That's where I, I recognize that name from. And uh, it's very interesting. But what, what interests me, Josh, is the whole Southern Baptist Convention, because both your dad and your grandfather are yeah. huge Southern Baptists. So I wonder how they took all. That, well, you know? so so it's interesting because I remember going to ceremonies with my <laughs> grandfather and, and, and dad, but there would be like a part where the family would participate and then all the family members would get ushered out to like the food hall to you know get whatever the meal was going to be and then they would have additional ceremonies that were still behind closed doors so that's that's what i remember is um there was a family component but then the family was there for like maybe 10 minutes or something it's like i remember when my dad was was initiated in uh for his uh what's what's it the was it the third degree is where you basically start masturbation yeah so and I remember um, they blindfolded the guys that were coming in and and uh, they told them they were going to be stepping on uh, rat poop and it was raisins. And like that was that was looking back now, that was solely for the families mm. to, to think about and say, oh, this is not serious. They're just they're joking around all the time. And so to, to remove any type of serious consideration for what was actually happening behind closed doors. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you read Duncan's Ritual of Freemasonry, uh, which is, you know, widely available, it, it shows you uh, the York Rite, which is like the second largest uh, uh, Masonic Rite. Uh, they're very serious about the things that go on in those degrees. They're meant to be scary, and they are. Maybe not as scary as the Oddfellows ritual, which is probably not on your list because they're they're not extinct, but they're certainly not what they once were. Uh, and uh, and there are other things too. And if I may just get in a little bit of editorial, uh, I periodically hear something about the uh, Grand Lodge of my particular state not liking 
the Memphis Rite and uh, making dire, uh, I wouldn't call them threats, that's too extreme, but implying, oh, well, you don't want to be doing our stuff. But they're still basically all white, all male. And they're like, you know, trip back to the 1950s. And uh, they uh, uh, had a recent experience where a close female friend of mine uh, had a meeting with some of these people in a North Georgia uh, regular Masonic lodge uh, to try and see if there was any points in common that we could do something with. And uh, they said to her, they, they tolerated her until the uh, lodge master came in and then they made a quick retreat. Apparently she wasn't real welcome there. But she said, oh yeah, and the uh, Prince Hall Lodge, that would be the black Masonic Lodge, they, the, the colored folks meet down the street. And I thought, this was in 2017 or 18? What's wrong with this picture? You know, yeah. these people need to, uh, uh, if they profess the brotherhood of man, uh, uh, maybe they ought to <laughs> yeah. revise who they're talking about. Well, and I remember just, this is not on my list, but I remember my grandmother was a part of something that was like something the Eastern Star. Eastern like, Star is the uh, women's auxiliary of the regular Freemasons. And it, it does good things. I mean, it has a, a home for the elderly that in, in every state and mm -hmm. uh, uh, they do good work, but so do the Shriners. I mean, yeah. I, I think of the Shriners as silly, but the stuff they do for children, I'm not gonna argue with that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's wonderful stuff. Um, you know, whether or not circuses really still have a place in today's uh, society, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, what they you know they do for the like the the Shriners Hospital and stuff like that is definitely yeah, the hospital. Yes, the circus, their circus was never much of a circus anyway. It wasn't it wasn't Barnum and Bailey. It was mm -hmm. you know the poor the poor man's uh, circus, and it was mostly a guy with a net swinging on a, a trapeze. Yeah, so right. Well, we had, a, we had a buddy who's like grandfather or great grandfather was in the Shriner Circus, and he was a guy that lifted weights with his nipples. He would like have pierced nipples, and would lift weights with those. So the shrine yeah. is intended to be something <laughs> of a burlesque, uh, whereas Freemasonry is intended to be a serious communication of uh, what William Buckley once called bomb fog. <laughs> The Brotherhood of Man and the Fatherhood of God. So, uh, French Masonry doesn't require that you believe in a deity, but uh, uh, the Western, uh, the American version does, and I think so does the English version. Yeah, which which I which I always thought was the G in the, in the symbolism was for God, but but this is this describes it as just a greater. A significant power, a grand architect of the universe, if you will. So they're not really saying God, but that you have to believe that there is some greater power than us that is in control. So intelligent just, design. Just like Alcoholics Anonymous. How yes. interesting. But it, the G actually stands for geometry, the most estimable of sciences. You have to memorize that. So huh. if you're going to be a Mason, <laughs> get used to geometry. But of course, the great geometrician is God. I mean, according to you know, right. their doctrine. 
uh, I've not thought of God as a geometric, uh, but then again, you know, there's that whole thing about the Fibonacci sequence, and yeah. that's going pretty far afield. Next yeah. group. I think we've trashed the Freemasons. Yeah, yeah. okay. Next, next, next group. Next on the list, <laughs> the Illuminati. Come on down. Oh, I thought that was going to be number one. <laughs> when I broke with the hierarchical organizations, there was a group that called themselves uh, Congregational Thelema in California, and they were independent, didn't weren't beholden to anybody. So I'm, I modified that and came up with some ideas that basically are uh, decentralist ideas. And we eventually settled on the name free Illuminism. Now, Illuminism means people who are on whatever path of illumination. In a sense, we're doing that right now. We're trying right, to help right. uh, illuminate people and maybe sell a few books, you know, wait, wait. <laughs> in that order, in that order, yeah, everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or a t-shirt or two, you know, whatever. <laughs> t-shirt. And a patro- what do they call them? Patrons? Patri- yeah, Patreon. I know nothing. Yeah, patrons. Patreon, yes. Yeah. Patreon. Or Patreon, as the case may be. <laughs> underground version. Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. The Patreon. So I get letters periodically from all over the world saying, I want to join the Illuminati, and I don't know how to explain to them that this isn't the Illuminati, because uh, the, the Illuminati started out in the 18th century in Bavaria. A lot of movement. Yeah, 1776, May 1st, 1776. Uh, interesting year that that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was a political organization that wanted to infiltrate the Freemasons and influence them towards being anti-monarchy and uh, and uh, uh, essentially Republican, small r. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they were indulged in Bavaria for a while and migrated to France and migrated to Haiti and migrated here but uh, they were suppressed in, uh, in Bavaria by the king, uh, who sort of felt that he didn't really need anti-monarchical organizations mm-hmm. infiltrating, since usually the, the honorary head of Masonic bodies was either the king or some, you know, some yep. uh, a notable luminary of the country. Uh, I think the last one in the United States was Gerald R. Ford, uh, who was, you know, a an honorary grandmaster in, in the Freemasons, and as harmful as anyone who knows anything about Gerald Ford would know, what wouldn't hurt a pussycat because his wife would yell at him. But that's neither here nor there. They're both, they've both gone to their reward. And they've both gone home to Jesus. He was a Boy Scout, too. He was an eagle. Mm-hmm. He once did an ad for the Boy Scouts wearing a Scout uniform while he was president for that month and a half that he was president. Mm, yep. So I and, give him credit for that. And thanks so to I, Chevy Chase, he'll always be remembered falling down. <laughs> <laughs> synchronicity hold on we all stop now that's a synchronicity today i was thinking about chevy chase 
<laughs> but I was thinking about born in Arizona, moved to Babylonia, King Tut. <laughs> Buried in his jammies, King Tut. <laughs> well, so, so you don't hear his name that often. That's that's a synchronicity. <laughs> Isn't there a Chevy Chase city? Chevy Chase, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a road Maryland. in Louisville, Kentucky, Chevy Chase. Yeah. Oh, I, so I thought it was interesting when I was looking into the Illuminati, which, by the way, I feel like it's an opportunity to spin up an organization called the Illuminati, Illuminati when it's all focused about aluminum, the metal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you the secrets <laughs> of real crap. Like, you know, the with the foil hats, the Illuminati. Oh man, that's great! <laughs> and in Britain, they're the Aluminati, Illuminati. right? <laughs> Aluminati. <laughs> but anyways, um, I came across it, it. It all communication for the Illuminati was done with a cipher, and members were given classical names like Weishkopots or whatever was Spartacus. Uh, so they didn't. So it, it makes me think about uh, Alan and your cipher. You know, uh, maybe there's get a hold of Illuminati uh, transcripts and run through those with your secret cipher, the Euphronauts, and see what that produces. I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was one of the first things I did. Not not with the. Uh, I don't know that there's a, a gap between the suppression of the Bavarian Illuminati and the Illuminati in France, which actually overthrew the uh, French crown and. Uh, uh, was influential until most of them were beheaded during the uh, the terror and uh, Napoleon came in and they were no longer there. But an interesting fellow by the name of Theodore Royce, whose name you may know, uh, uh, a tribute as a founder of this group, I'm trying to think of their name, the OTO, I think is the name, the Ordo Temple, something or other. Anyway, he... Uh, reorganized the Illuminati. He was a Anglo-German. He was German, but uh, and rumored to be a spy. By the way, uh, depends on whose spy he was, yeah. uh, who you talk to. But he revived the Illuminati, and that overlapped somewhat with his work with uh, developing the Academia Masonica, uh, uh, which uh, became the OTO. Uh, founded by uh, Carl Kellner and Theodore Royce. So whether there's overlap in membership in the early days, like turn of the uh, 19th to 20th century or not, yeah. it's hard to say because all secret societies have in common certain, well, just like the Boy Scouts, they have degrees, they have oaths and usually they have ceremonies that go with them that's just part of the part of the the culture so it it says here that the for conspiracy theories the illuminati is blamed for the french revolution and the assassination of jfk oh yeah uh, now you're digging the into first the, the first and, one yes they definitely had a great deal to do with uh with the French Revolution and maybe with the uh, with the execution of the king and queen and uh, uh, basically people who were not of the same mental framework as as the Illuminati were, which were they were not all 
you know, a diehard uh, atheist, uh, uh, um, anti-monarchist Republicans. And uh, that kind of vanished and they were beheaded because the next phase of the French Revolution was the purging of suspicious organizations. <laughs> and and uh, they, they were certainly suspicious. But the, the thread, uh, I mean, I have a book coming out on uh, um, the history of modern magic, 1700 to 2000, which Ooh. I've got to write. I've got to write a new introduction that takes in the last 20 years because the history since 2000 is its own story. It would make a whole yeah, book itself, man. but but I'm not up to that. I'll just write an introduction saying, well, here's what happened since 2000. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so don't get your panties in a wad. I'll tell you uh, briefly what happened since then. But um, um, where was I going with that? Come on. We were, ta- we were talking about help, the Illuminati and senior Re- We were talking about the Illuminati and French Revolution. And then- yes. But not JFK. First of all, with JFK, honestly, I was out of the country. I was <laughs> I was on a kibbutz in Israel, pulling rocks up and weeding plants. And it was three days after the man had died that uh, I heard about it because somebody listened to the BBC and they said, uh, Kennedy is dead. And then they said, the assassin is dead and the assassin's assassin. Uh, so. I had nothing to do with it. My friend Carrie Thornley was a suspect in the New Orleans uh, investigation into the Kennedy assassination. But I am of the simplistic school there. And I had a number of people that convinced me because I tend to think, oh, it's hard to think that one guy with a uh, single bolt action rifle mm-hmm. could do all this damage. But uh, um, I've watched uh, experienced marksmen uh, duplicate what was done uh, to the to Kennedy, and it could well have been done by one person. Doesn't mean that other people weren't egging him on right. because he was a member of the uh, Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which was a uh, sub supposedly a left-wing organization, but uh, for the Illuminati to have done something like that would imply that there's a reason for it. And the only one I can think of was they were anti-Catholic. So, yeah. Yeah. So Joe, be careful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I liked about the old school Illuminati, because my opinion, everything just gets blamed on the Illuminati now. It's like the go-to conspiracy theory is, oh, it's the Illuminati. But I love the basically the war they had with the Rosicrucians because it's like, here's one secret society against another secret society. Like, I feel like this was some Harry Potter action happening. Well, probably actually, (laughs) no. People in leather jackets snapping in a parking lot was probably what it was. Oh, that's that's how you saw. It. <laughs> and it's just constantly throwing fog down so that yeah. nobody knew who they are. <laughs> it was the quietest. Well, executions are are much older. I mean, they go back to at least the uh, mm-hmm. 1600s, and if you believe their own legend, they go back to the 1400s. Right. So, uh, uh, and there, they also had. Um, they were basically. Uh, alchemists and proto-Protestants. 
So they were um, um, a very interesting group of people that went off in many different directions so that you could say truthfully that there are many valid Rosicrucian paths. My favorite being uh, P.B. Randolph's uh, introduction of Rosicrucianism into the United States and with it a certain shall we say erotic secrets that go with the rose crucified upon the cross mm -hmm. which as they say uh, about Fellini a train goes into a tunnel you don't have to be Fellini to figure that one out <laughs> uh, yay. Is, is golden dawn on our list because that's what I think of when I think of Rosicrucians it is, but we've got to get to one that was dropped at the, t at the top of the show, Skull and Bones. All right. Is that where we're at? That's where we're at. We made it. We made it, Alan. <laughs> we made it all the way. You mean so, we've yeah. been tapped? I've always wanted to be a Skull and Bones. I just didn't want to go to school. I mean, you know, the U of A was good enough I mean, for me. I'm I not wanted to be leaguer. They don't I want wanted to be at Harvard. Like I, I wanted did, to be a National Lampoon. That's what I wanted. I wasn't one. They, they, they don't bother with that. They're too busy becoming presidents and heads of banks and blah, 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 blah. The thing is about Skull and Bones, there are 50,000 different descriptions of what their primary ritual is, rumors about what the, uh, what do they call it, the tomb. Um, yep. That's their temple on campus, which is tolerated. Um, uh, is all about and one is that you're supposed to confess all of your sexual misdeeds uh, to the gathered people another one is all of the current members urinate upon the mm -hmm. new candidates i don't know if any of those are true i suspect they're not what i suspect is true is they say give us allegiance and you have the best contacts in the United States of America for becoming a somebody. And they, unlike a lot of these groups, really live up to that. They're all from, quote, good families anyway. But uh, there are so many members of Skull and Bones that have gone on to fame and fortune. They're not necessarily good people or bad people, but they're yeah. successful. So, and that's quite something. So for those that may not know, uh, was founded at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut in 1832 uh, by uh, founder William Huntington Russell, which uh, sounds like it should be like a sport coat or a smoking jacket. It uh, is. <laughs> the Russell jacket. It's well known. So you uh, are a boxman. Come on. Um, Mess up. <laughs> so it, it says that uh, he was inspired by an occult society he'd visited in Germany. Well, that, yeah, I've seen that, and that there's there's some rumor that whether or not that's real or not. Because one of the things I heard, I, I listened to this really great podcast on Skull and Bones, and they were talking about he was just bored because the clubs back then were just things he wasn't into. It was like English and math, and it was like that was all the clubs that was there. He didn't. He was kind of interested in theater, but wanted to do his own thing, and so he said, "Fucking, I'm going to create this club." Is essentially what they said. <laughs> it's like the legit. Well, all, all uh, Greek uh, societies on campuses have rituals. Some of them are 
hazing and you hear the occasional uh, candidate dying during, you know, swallowing goldfish mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, uh, it's, all, it's all revealed in Animal House, if you want to look at it. <laughs> yes, another great documentary. <laughs> yes, it's a, it shows the entire process. Uh, yeah, actually, the smack across the dirty air uh, is taken from the Shriners, who that's with a firecracker attached to it. That's the way they bring new people in. And you probably don't forget the firecracker across the buttocks. But in any case, uh, uh, Skull and Bones is a real organization. But to me, it's a rich people's campus organization that has a code of secrecy which uh, amounts to protecting one another if they get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have a, a case in this century where you have both candidates of the, uh, quote, major political parties, end quote, um, uh, being members of Skull and Bones, which probably means that there were places they could go uh, uh, in terms of each other's criticism and places they couldn't go. And uh, that should not have an effect on on political dialogue. On the other hand, more recent years have given me the view that maybe politeness is not such a bad thing. <laughs> right, amen. <laughs> well, and, it, and it says here that they only select, so each year they pick 15 seniors to join Skull and Bones. Out of the entire Correct. senior class, they only pick 15 each year to join. It's called tapping, and there are all kinds of licit and illicit tap books on campus for guys that are interested in joining it. I believe it's still an all-male. Uh, yeah, that's what it says here. Yeah. Well, uh, if you get tapped, then you're one of the 15, and you're told to be in a certain place at a certain time, and then they take you to the tomb. and. Uh, I think most or all of them get in because they're, they're they're sort of pre-screened, right. as the credit card companies say. Congratulations, yeah. you're pre-screened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're usually from families that you know a lot of them are legacies, but that's yeah. true in a lot of fraternities, right? Right. Uh, a legacy has a has a, a leg up on membership, so yep. you have generations of significant and important people whose names you would recognize and if we had more time i'd give you a complete list (laughs) that that that, uh, joined that particular society and uh, but you know that process is typical of of all fraternal organizations so moving on uh, because we're at number five on the list we've got total nine to go through so uh Bilderberg. I had not heard of this one before. Bilderberg. They are financially oriented, and they're one of that second group that I was talking about. They are not a a chowder and marching society in any sense. They really are a group of bankers, industrialists, whatever, that are interested in keeping the world economy I'm not putting it charitably. I'm just saying it like it is, keeping it in their pockets. And you know the the ratio of people who are 
really, really wealthy. I'm not talking about, you know, the millionaire. I'm talking about the billionaires that mm. are, uh, I don't want to say too much like behind the scenes right now after this whole QAnon business, I've been reluctant to sound conspirator. They're not conspirators. Yeah. They're, greedy, they're greedy business people who look to have essentially uh, the word used to be cabal, which comes from the word Kabbalah, which means secret, but they're, they're, uh, they work behind the scenes to ensure the orderly transfer to their children of <laughs> the wealth of the world. So and, for, games, uh, for game stock fundage. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, as, so it says here, like uh, previous guests, uh, guests of or, or members of, have been uh, Bill Clinton, Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, uh, Tony Blair, Henry Kissinger. So, all trilateral commissioners as well, but that's more official and a little bit more open. But the Bilderbergers are are what I've been fighting all my life. Not that specific organization, sure, but yeah, that that yeah. headset that says, you know, we will, we're not competitors. We are uh, in the, we're in this together in order to ha uh, have the wealth of nations in our hands. They're not even necessarily interested in power in the political sense, which is something the conspiracy people get wrong. Uh, if it serves their interests, they are. If it doesn't serve their interests, they're not. Sometimes they are in opposition to uh, the political powers. Uh, it all depends on money. Money, money, money makes yeah. the world. What do you What do you got for origins on them? I, I know uh, the where I had heard of them is that I know a documentary came out a couple of years ago, and it's been on my list for a long time. I've never watched so, it. Though, so it, it says the first meeting was held in 1954 at the Hotel de Bilderberg in the Netherlands. That's true. Um, at, so, at least as the Bilderbergers, that's where the name came from. Yeah. But if you think there was a time in which there weren't people who yeah. became Bilderbergers or, or who were the ancestors of Bilderbergers who had been meeting before then, then you don't know the history of the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's as old as as paper money, you know, hmm. as old as stocks. It's it's a way of gaining uh, power in the economic sense, a very successful one. So uh, I want to join. Uh, do, do I get to be a... <laughs> so, so moving from the uh, economic uh, power to the political power, uh, the Bohemian Club. Wow. Well, which it didn't start out that way, I know, um, but that's pretty much what it's turned into. You know, so it started out with pretty much being for journalists, artists, and musicians that wanted to get involved um, with things and have a and have a place where they could meet and share ideas. But from what I've researched and found, is it is more or less now is uh, the 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 again conspiracy theory out there is that. The Bohemian Club is responsible for who gets uh, nominated for presidency for the two major powers. Uh, well, certainly the people who uh, are big players in political power 
go to their strange annual uh, well it's not so strange now with burning man which is for mm -hmm. ordinary hippies that are not aspiring to anything but getting stoned uh not to <laughs> disparage that um uh they they are part of that uh quasi pagan ritual where they you know and uh, i think that that's just their point of departure that's why it was at one time mostly as you say artists and poets and people of goodwill but it quickly became which is what happened to masonry in the 18th century started out as uh, members of a, a guild who built things yep. and became a, uh, a secret society because guild secrets consisted of things like special handshakes so if somebody came in and said i'm a master builder they said give me the handshake you know because you yep. wanted somebody who came mostly they were not literate people were not highly literate, so they didn't have credentials, but if they knew the proper pass and password and all that, and that intrigued some aristocrats, and there you you had it. The same thing is true there. It started out as a uh, society of, of people who probably started out with the same sort of motivations that Burning Man has, and attracted enough important people however one chooses to define that. Yep. Then it became the place to go to hobnob with uh, the Bush family or the Kennedy family. Well, I don't know about the Bush uh, family. And, uh, well, so what they've got here for prominent figures. Uh, prominent figures yeah. like the Bush family. Right. Well, you remember <laughs> in the beginning of the show. On when the I Bush had... family. You know, yeah. uh, George W. Bush has to ditch his plane in Japanese waters, and mysteriously, a submarine just happens to be there to rescue him. And mysteriously, also, there's a photographer on board to record his rescue. But that's just coincidence. It's not <laughs> even synchronicity. Right. I would never, never think otherwise. Well, it's interesting because remember at the beginning of the show, I had mentioned, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, H.W. Bush was a part of another group. This is what I was talking about. So talk about synchronicity because I didn't know what your list was going to be either, Josh. So I heard about this for the first time today on a, a podcast I listened to. It's a fictional one called Tannis, and they were talking about the Bohemian Grove and all that. Yep. And uh, in that, yeah, they were talking about H.W. Bush was being there. And then, of course, they talked about the journalists that broke in and like, like, got like all sorts of like information on it and then alex jones came in there in 2000 and like filmed the cremation of care ceremony and all kinds of crazy shit so <laughs> yeah that, that that may serve to get them to move to a different location and do a show there similar to what i was describing about the nice baptist families being shown secret masonic rituals with uh, jesus prancing around and giving mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, they are very powerful people, not all of them, you know. Yeah. And uh, I haven't heard of anyone who was caught on the premises, Alex Jones included, who were who were anything other than escorted off the premises. Right. Which is, yeah, they're right. It was if they were of murderous intent, uh, some people would have disappeared. I haven't right. heard a single case of that. They are interested in power and not scandal. So, well, and, and 
And I would imagine that in today's, uh, you know, society, uh, murderous intent could also be career murder, you know, type situation. So That's really- a lie. I'm not saying they have grace in their heart and right. forgiveness and say, oh, would you please leave our private ceremony? Here, we'll call you a taxi. You're a taxi. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's because they don't want. Uh, anything that's going to interfere with their some of them are not in political power some are in banking or whatever did i say <laughs> did i say a funny <laughs> you well, did i, I want to i can't stop because... laughing about your taxi i just don't have time yeah. well i still like that you know the thing that i liked about them was that big owl that they have that symbolizes wisdom it's like supposed to be 30 to 40 feet tall and in the middle of the redwoods it's like i want to go see that just to see it you know like that's something that stood out to me that i heard what well, Another podcast, it, and I've there seen are that. photographs of it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I've looking at one now. It. It's pretty neat. The other thing that uh, I thought was really interesting about them is their their club motto is "Weaving Spiders Come Not Here," mm-hmm. which is from Act Two, Scene Two of Shakespeare's Midnight Summer or Midsummer Night's Dream, and it basically is intended to be, "Don't come here and do business deals." Yeah, you know, they're not so. supposed to, but no, they, but. They walk around in the woods together to mm-hmm. buy you and have, you know, well, okay, you can win, you know, and, uh, but your bank account is going to get a lot bigger and I'd like to give you a stock tip or two. And blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course people talk. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous to really even think that people of, uh, political stature in society are going to go out and see them burn their effigy and uh, right. and do whatever little ritual they do and then not talk about the sole interest in their life. You know, it's just not going to happen. All right. So moving on from there, Stefan, you asked while ago, this is number seven on the list, the Golden Dawn. Yay, Golden Dawn. So I feel it important to to call this out that um, in my research, I came across a group operating currently in Greece calling themselves Uh. the Golden Dawn that is a neo-Nazi group in Greece. This is not that. Yeah, because so you brought sure. that up earlier to me and Santosh, and I was like, wait, they're not connected, are they? No. <laughs> well, it may be a translation problem from the Greek. It actually is called the Golden Showers <laughs> of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> and who's to say, you know? Um, no, no, the, the, the Golden Dawn... Uh, le- 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 Uh, First of all, I don't think it qualifies anymore as a secret society because everything that they do has been published Mm -hmm. by not members. Well, first it was published by Aleister Crowley, who had been an initial member, and that had caused uh, great consternation among the various groups that were descended from the original Golden Dawn. The original Golden Dawn, uh, the... Uh, general story is that in the um, uh, society Rosicruciana in Anglia, which preceded it and overlapped somewhat with the Golden Dawn, um, in its library was found a coded message, which you, you can, if you just look for 
Rosicrucian coded message. You will see pictures of every page of it uh, on on Google. So it's 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 there for you to see. And supposedly it was the product of a Fraulein Springle in Germany. Who, uh, I'm sorry, I have a, a code in my head. I have several codes in my head, actually. But uh, one, one of them is your pin code for your bank, right? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I remember it, and sometimes that's not important, and I'm not giving that out over the air. <laughs> but what is important is that uh, uh, they decoded this. I have re the general feeling is that Fraulein Springle is fictional. And that uh, probably somebody in the SRIA, um, which has an American counterpart, by the way, that still exists, as does, as far as I know, the SRIA, um, um, translated this uh, coded message. And it was the basic ritual of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which fortuitously for them, arrived as a secret society at the end of the 19th century. It never had more than a few hundred members, but, oh, such members, Florence Farr, who was uh, um, Bernard Shaw's mistress or mm -hmm. wife, or, or both, uh, and at different times, uh, uh, Crowley, uh, what, people who, uh, um, Yates. Yeah, I was going to say I mean, Yates. It was, yeah, I mean, uh, and Yates continued to be influenced by them. Uh, horror book writers like Arthur Mackin was a member. Uh, supposedly, Bram Stoker was a member. Yeah, I've heard that too. And uh, I haven't ever seen him on their little list. The list, when I finally obtained that, is only like 300 people. You know, that's hmm. like Temple of Set size. That's just not what you think of because it was very influential far beyond but it predictably broke up in the early part of the 20th century and all of the organizations that developed afterwards crowley had one and it claimed descent from them and there's the one that dion fortune set up and there, there are a bunch of others and they they all you know are descended from the golden dawn and finally Everything that the Golden Dawn had to offer, uh, Israel Regardi, at one time uh, um, uh, Crowley's secretary, but more to the point, a member of one of those descendant organizations, published what are known in occult circles as the Yellow Pages, which <laughs> is this huge book, uh, a revision of an earlier book that uh, he had done, which basically is rituals of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And uh, uh, there's nothing secret about that. There's an American branch that uh, sort of copied the OTO in going to court and getting the exclusive rights to call themselves the Golden Dawn based on Israel Regardi's uh, say-so, which I won't give you the amusing story I often tell about uh, <laughs> the last minutes of Israel Regardi's life, but. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, and I was looking at the, so I guess this order had three orders or three levels, whatever you want to call it. So mm -hmm. the, the first order taught esoteric philosophy. 
uh, based on the uh, Hermetic uh, Kabbalah, the Second Order or Inner Order, um, and I'm not even going to attempt a Rose Ruby at Cruces. That's my that's my attempt. Red Ruby uh, and Cross of Gold. Yeah, uh, this is America, not Rome. So. <laughs> uh, top magic, uh, including scrying, astral travel, and alchemy. And the third order was that of the uh, secret chiefs, mm -hmm. uh, which, which, it, uh, when I read that, uh, immediately went to you know, your book with yep. uh, the the calling out of the secret exactly, chiefs. Exactly, because because the whole concept of the secret chiefs, under a variety of names, predates the existence of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I was going to say, I believe that Fraulein Springle actually existed and was a member of a German uh, equivalent that got maybe the Cross of Gold Society or whatever it was called. Um, I, w I would have to look it up because yeah. it was not something that directly was influential and she was given permission for a while to you know spread the rituals uh to other places but all of these organizations that are in that golden dawn lineage uh, including those that came before it like um crowley's aa was not the first aa in fact in an 1875 book uh, our 1873 book, um, uh, P.B. Randolph mentions uh, intriguingly as it, we, our order as is, is as in the AA. And um, you, it, it seems to go back very far. And if you uh, buy into the gestalt of it, um, the secret chiefs have always been around what they are are human beings who have ascended to the equivalent of that third stage which i doubt that you could get into in the mm -hmm. in any of the permutations of the golden dawn because they really uh they do the rituals but in my opinion they're all relatively clueless uh that is they get into uh certificate fever Right. Uh, wallpaper it's called in, mm -hmm. in the trade which is they get into having these high exalted titles and they if they start out really on the quest for illumination they wind up on a quest for the next big degree and that doesn't secret chiefs are like uh, the Mahatmas in uh, in the Theosophical Society yeah. I think they're the same people people that have ascended but like the bodhisattvas in Buddhism, and maybe the same people for all I know, mm -hmm. rather than choose to go on to bliss, nirvana, they choose to stay not so much corporeal, but with the human race until all sentient beings are liberated, to borrow the term from Buddhism. And I think that's who the secret chiefs are. And they ain't got nothing to do with the golden dawn as <laughs> described in America today. And if you just work the rituals by yourself or with a little group of people and don't call yourself some past and long dead organization with no living members, chances are you have a better chance of making it into that upper stratum than you do if you use the name of organizations that you 
are not entitled to because they've come and gone. And there are reasons that they come and go. Uh, As Crowley once said about his uh, grandmaster in the Golden Dawn, uh, Mathers, the secret chiefs cast him off. I think they cast off Crowley. They cast off uh, Theon Fortune. Doesn't mean that they were awful people. It means that at a certain level of development, you either get it or you don't get it. And if you don't get it, there's not too much to be done. You know, you can uh, go through college and not understand, even if your major is physics, not understand physics, then you're a physicist because let's face it, nobody understands physics anymore. (laughs) But the point is the secret chiefs are not going to say, okay, you made it this far, so ascend with us. And the very, um, I tend to hold with things that persist through history under various names and secret chiefs are one of them. But their uh, affiliation with the Golden Dawn is debatable. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the system. I mean, it's very, very late 19th century Findisichel. Is that the way to pronounce it? Findisichel, end of the century madness. We had a little of that in Y2K, but uh, yep. <laughs> but we're getting right. more of it now. And... So, <laughs> next on the list. Sorry, I'm not really sure how to transition to the next one. But <laughs> Order of the Oriental Templars. Or Order, is this, so this is this is Ordo Templi Orientis. Oh, oh, them. I remember them. Didn't they go out of it? No, I guess they're still there. <laughs> it's just Wasserman that passed on, and may he rest in pieces. So what can I say? Um, um, in P.B. Randolph's time, he introduced to the West what amounts to tantric magic, which is to say sexual magic. And one of the members of uh, the successor body to, I mean, he he died under strange circumstances in 1875, uh, leaving it to a committee until his son Osiris Buddha Randolph grew up and could claim the organization. Well, Osiris became a physician, mainstream physician, and was not interested in it. So. Kate Corson Randolph, his widow, uh, who was very young when when he died, sold the rights uh, to uh, uh, the Brotherhood of Eulis, I think it was called, to um, guy in one of the two rival Rosicrucian societies here in America, uh, our Swinburne Climbers Group, which still exists although the the major one is Amork in California, which used to advertise in every issue of life and look and magazines that have gone on to their reward. Crackle, crackle, crackle. Uh, And uh, uh, they they are strictly mail order and they have hundreds or thousands of members and rake in the cash, I think. But uh, because you pay by degree which is not dissimilar from the OTO, not coincidentally, because K. 
Kellner, one of the founders of the OTO, yep. was also a member of uh, Peter Davidson's Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, which was followed uh, followed the uh, the path of the Brotherhood of Eulis pretty much to the letter. Hmm. It's all in my books, the secret stuff and all that. Yeah. I don't know which, which book it's in, but I, it's coming out in another book because well, <laughs> secret stuff needs to be published and republished and, and yeah. tell people actually don't consider it secret anymore. And is, that, is that the name so, of the book, Secret Stuff? No, no, no. But, that, but there, it will be. <laughs> Give me a year or two. Okay. It'll be whatever the title is, a.k.a. Secret Stuff. It, no, double it, double it's Secret all, Stuff. Uh, something like this, the name comes from my publisher, not from me. Uh, it's called. Uh, um, I wanted to call it the Ten Cup because of something that on Hellier that struck me as mm -hmm. very familiar. But um, uh, it, it's called the Inner Grail, I think. Mm. I, I like Mysterious. that. Not gonna lie, <laughs> and it, it's never been published before. There were. Um, when I wrote it, I hand distributed it to the highest initiates for free for nothing, hand distribution of 93 copies. And that is the only circulation it's gotten. So and to use another term from Randolph, printed, not published. Now it's going to be published and presumably also printed. So, I mean, I leave that to my publisher under under the name, um, whatever I said it was. Inner Grail. Yeah, the Inner Grail. Like that. Um, uh, the subtitle is The True Quest for the Holy Grail, which was the original name for the printed, not published version. But most people have not seen it, and I think it will be a valuable contribution. Oh, anyway, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> dead series i can't wait signed copy well, <laughs> uh, any day now there were a few corrections that i asked for and i wrote a new little introduction saying i didn't really write this honest <laughs> blame, blame my publisher um or something like that uh, but um the by the time kellner passed on in the early 1900s uh, Royce took over the OTO, and Royce carried with him two secrets. One was the form of Freemasonry. Kellner had been a regular Freemason, initiated into a lodge in Austria, which was, he was an Austrian industrialist. And the other being the secrets of sexual magic. And the system that the OTO evolved was the primary degrees were essentially Masonic degrees, uh, very little different from uh, the familiar, those familiar with regular Masonic degrees. But the upper degrees from uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth degrees, the penultimate degrees, uh, are teachings of sexual magic at various stages. Mm -hmm. One is autoerotic, one is, you know, it's. Um, and one is uh, heterosexual, and that's an 11th degree, which has been called a homosexual degree. But uh, whether that's changed over the years or not, I don't know. But it does involve uh, 
the Forbidden Zone, to coin the name of a movie, not necessarily <laughs> between people of the same sex. So that that, that just may be a cop out, um, and I'm sure my teacher would object to that. But uh, in any case, uh, that's what they do on paper. After Royce inducted Crowley, based on the fact that he had stumbled upon the inner secret, uh, Crowley put a lot of the stuff from the Book of the Law into the, the Masonic rituals so that instead of the hidden master being uh, um, uh, Hiram Abif, it became uh, um, some Islamic saint. I, I don't remember his name, even though I used to perform these initiations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it says here that uh, after, yeah, so after Crowley uh, came in, they reorganized around Crowley's uh, Thelema as its central religious principle, and then everything else was just. Yeah, if you buy the fact that that Aleister Crowley legitimately became the uh, world leader of the Ordo Templi Orientist. However, I have a letter from uh, Theodore Royce, uh, who lived for several years after Crowley said, I am taking over this organization from you because you're crazy. Or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of abridging it. Crowley yeah. was more eloquent than that. Uh, Royce basically wrote him a letter saying, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, all the letter is on my desktop, uh, uh, emblazoned among many. Uh, great, great things. If only people could read them, they would all become secret chiefs. <laughs> but maybe I'll put them in a book, a future book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, called The Ice Cream Madness of Alan Greenfield. <laughs> now, that would sell if only to people that didn't like me and wanted to anyway forget that uh, <laughs> the, the the letter basically said you can run your MMM which means those primary degrees but I will continue to run the OTO and as far as I'm, I can see basically Royce fired Crowley and then yeah. after Royce died Crowley claimed that uh that Royce had given him the nod, and he assembled a little group of uh, his uh, toadies uh, to vote him in as the supreme uh, leader of the OTO. But that's really questionable. The court case that involved Marcello Moda is, uh, he was the easiest target on the map. Notice they did, uh, didn't go after Kenneth Grant mm -hmm. or any of the other people. I don't think any of them are the original OTO, just like I don't think uh, the Golden Dawn is the original Golden Dawn. The one thing that is true of the OTO is they do the Crowley rituals more or less as they were originally written, but as modified by the current leader of the pack and who is not a particularly good ritualist so they've definitely done a little downhill right. but uh, i would say if you want to learn sexual magic there are better places to go to <laughs> 
Well, and it's, it's, it it does qualify <laughs> as a secret society, though, because it is, you know, it, the, the, the things that I'm saying, I am violating past oaths even to say. But you know what? I discovered something in my um, ceremonious separation from them, which is oaths taken in haste under misrepresentations are not valid. And I feel that uh, that I'm not violating anything any more than Crowley, who genuinely thought that the Golden Dawn had gone south under Mathers, was breaking his solemn obligations to the Golden Dawn by publishing their stuff in his overpriced uh, set of books, The Equinox. So, you know, if I'm guilty, so is he. And if I'm not guilty, I guess on that one count, he's not guilty. Right. right. And of course, you've got Gerald Gardner, heavily influenced by Golden Dawn and Thelema, and uh, was even granted a charter to run an OTO camp in England. Uh, I know. It, it used to hang over my bed. And I. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. Oh, you know, you know my story. Yeah, then. you told yeah. us about that. Yeah. King of the witches. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. Look, lady, King of the witches. <laughs> get, get closer. Just climb on the bed. Feel free. Feel free. So I'm the king of the witches, and you want to be a witch. And I have. I'll, I'll cut you right to the third degree, the great right. Uh. Even even guards, like even like my coven, my group, and uh, just the larger group at large, they all still even look at Gardner and go, "Okay." <laughs> well, so it's 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 uh, interesting that you went there, Stefan, because that is the ninth and final one on the list. Really? Yep. Witchcraft or Wicca? Very Wicca. important, different. Wicca in general, yeah, very different. So have the Gardnerians specifically. So I I have Gardnerian Wicca. Is the last is the last okay. entry. and Wicca is the only group of Wiccans that I have any respect for at all. Not because of the legendary history of the Book of Shadows. <laughs> I have read the Book of Shadows in yeah. the three handwritings of uh, Gerald Gardner, and large, large sections of it are taken from Golden Dawn rituals. Mm-hmm. OTO rituals and regular Masonic rituals. So I would say that uh, it's not ye book of ye art magical from the Middle Ages. It's ye book of Gerald Gardner from the 1940s. Of shit he was into (laughs) is what it is. And that's what I'm saying. Even as Gardnerians, like most of us are still like, yeah, we know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, that's true now. It was not true in the first 20 years. Right. Now, yes. When it was introduced to, to America by, uh, what was her name? Uh, Sybil Lee. Yes. Uh, uh, and then taken up by the Long Island uh, Coven, which mm-hmm. went by the book. They believed it to be the ancient book of witchcraft that they were following. Well, I mean, his life. history of witchcraft and most of his books made it seem that way, you know, like, you know, and that's that was part of his thing. He, I mean, he had his his museum, you know, and everything. I mean, as much as I think he was definitely on to something, of course, or I would have would not have been a part of it. I know he was also looking at it as a cash cow and a way to get his smack it, smacking butts on and getting his loving on. So. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, most of that which he's accused of uh, creating whole cloth, they come from OTO rituals. 
Right. The nudity exists in OTO rituals. Where I won't say, except for for a dollar fifty sent to me post pay to Alan Greenfield. I wasn't in the country at the time. <laughs> he sent me a dollar bill and two quarters in a postmarked envelope inside of another envelope. And a Nabisco. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> box top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jack. Okay, so uh, anyway, um, where were we in defaming? <laughs> yeah, Gardnerian <laughs> Wicca. We won't even talk about the Alexandrians, are we going to? But do? the point is <laughs> that in Gardnerian Wicca, before the uh, excessively post-feminist influence on Wicca that only began to appear in the 1970s, even though it was the ancient order of Wicca, uh, I think has elements in it that are sufficiently numinous that they transcend any history they have. I mean, that's like asking, is the Bible literally true? Right. Uh, I don't know any serious scholar that thinks that is the case. Is it an important work comparable to the Iliad in Greece? I think so, and so do most scholars. That doesn't mean that Odysseus actually got seduced by uh, sirens, uh, or as we say in the South, sirens <laughs> on the, <laughs> on, the uh, on the island of whatever Calypso or something. Yeah. I'm garbling the Iliad, but then the Iliad itself is garbled. Garble, so that's right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's a case of that which is numinous is valid, whether it's old or new. That which is not numinous, it doesn't matter if it's 40,000 years old and was invented by some shaman to get more shells and more uh, shamanesses, uh, whatever his, (laughs) his or her motive may have been. Uh, it's valid uh, yeah. or not valid if it's uh, uh, not it doesn't carry that luminosity that illuminates so I think Gardnerian Wicca does I think the further you get away from that the less it does mm-hmm. and of course you could find all that out in my book on Wicca the, <laughs> the true history of Wicca which unfortunately <laughs> It's not written yeah. by me, <laughs> nor do I get royalties for it, uh, shit. nor do I know who wrote it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that uh, that rounds out our, our top nine, if you will. Um, there are probably Bazillion. much many, many more <laughs> that we could talk about, uh, but uh, that's what I'll put together. Like I said, I wanted to have nine in order of. Uh, our guest tonight so um yeah any any uh closing thoughts or or um you know I, one one do you think i should have added to the list that i didn't well i wanted to ask alan real quick i know because uh, we talked about the secret chiefs and one thing that continuously pops up in the books as well is the black lodge and the white lodge um and kind of uh, is is that more of just an idea of good and evil or is that more kind of rooted in some of these types of things or or whatnot well uh the black lodge is more a function than an organization 
to be in the Black Lodge requires you to have gone through something equivalent to the Golden Dawn or the OTO or the AA or one of those similar systems all the way up through that second triad and then be unwilling to go on either to Buddhahood, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, or, or afraid to, after all, you would lose all those dandy uh, pieces of wallpaper and maybe right. expose the hole in your wall, uh, the hole in your head, as the case may be. <laughs> Once that refusal takes place, a certain percentage of the people that reach that point go dark. That is, they don't want anybody to be above them in the hierarchy. That's the why I oppose hierarchy, period. You know, I'm, I'm not a great magician. I'm somebody that just does what I do, and you can judge it for whatever it's worth or not worth. And that's the way I look at myself in the mirror when I'm shaving. Cut myself a few times and enjoy drinking the blood but that's not oh where <laughs> where are we where going here where yeah. so once once people realize that they don't want anybody to be above that second level they are well advanced magicians who are determined to keep other people from becoming well advanced magicians whether they work in a group as a black lodge or alone as black brothers, as, as it used to be called, that term is too much of a double entendre for me at this point. Uh, but uh, so, so is it is it hubris that? Uh, I think it's more just egotism, mm. and at that point you're supposed to renounce your ego mm. and transit the great abyss. The, the path on the tree of life uh, represented by the letter Gimel, which means camel and is a narrow bridge crossing over to the higher planes. And if you fall off, you get eaten by the Lord of the abyss, or so it is claimed. And uh, I, I don't... <laughs> I, I don't speak from experience on that one. Uh, um, not all people that attain that level uh, get into that kind of negativity, but organizations often do because they're built around titles. Mm -hmm. You know, the great exalted master, or what, what was it called in the, uh, in the Flintstones, uh, the, the Grand Poobah or something yeah. like that. Uh, nobody wants to give up being the Grand Poobah, and at least in masonry in America. They're democratic, and you only serve for a year as a lodge master. And if you're a 33rd degree, that's as high as you can go in regular masonry. Um, it's more or less an honorarium. It doesn't make you the boss or anything. It's just yeah. saying, you stuck around through all 33 degrees. You get a special pin. And that is yeah. basically you it. You gave us a crap ton of money. We're going to give you a title and a special. Well, event. there's that too, uh, but they they use unlike the OTO, they use their money for charitable purposes to a large right. extent. Yeah, big temples. I'll say that, but uh, yeah. And uh, uh, in answer to your earlier question, I would include something like the BOTA, 
the builders of the Atidum and uh, the Church of Light in California, because they brought out uh, long before the Crowley deck uh, or the uh, Pamela Coleman Smith deck actually preceded that, uh, the one that's associated with the Golden Dawn. Uh, it's also called the Weight deck. Uh, they came out with a black and white tarot deck which was really the first you could get in America. I mean, I'm not saying that, that some groups of Roma didn't use them for fortune telling right. from Europe, but in terms of a deck that, that, that was followed the traditional pattern and was made in America, they did it. So, you know, they're still around. They are a direct descendant of the uh, uh, Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, which was headquartered about 100 miles from where I sit right now, uh, here in Egypt. Um, <laughs> oh, you're out of the country again. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, God, what's going to happen? No, but I will be after this program airs. <laughs> I think it's called deporting. <laughs> because I have no deportment. And uh, there are probably a few others that I'm embarrassingly forgetting about that are not necessarily large, but that are secretive, but good at what they do. And, uh, you know, that's but you, the list of nine certainly covers the ones that I probably would have ticked off if I was ticking them off, not necessarily in the same order, but uh, yeah. Uh, and I think we covered them. The one caveat I put on is some of these organizations truly believe themselves to be enlightening. The problem is if they ever were, they've long since ceased to be. And the best thing you can do is form a free illuminist body that's beholden to nobody. I agree. I think that that can be said about most any spiritual practice religion is that after a long time, it kind of loses its way because people are people. See, Stefan, we're just going to have to form the Fearscape Aluminum Naughty. Aluminum Naughty. <laughs> naughty organization. You can bake then, cookies on us. You know, you know. <laughs> we can sell everybody foil hats. And yep. uh, and sell our three Storios. Like, this is yep. perfect. <laughs> yeah. This is perfect. You're giving out trade secrets. That I, you know. Really I know. know. I'll be editing that out. No. Yeah, I, I have an ongoing. I'm a a, a a freak for demographics, and I follow demographics very closely. Partly uh, from uh, graduate school uh, habits, but. I have an ongoing dispute with the Pew Research Society, which monitors uh, well, it monitors things around the world, but it monitors specifically American religious beliefs. And one of the things it goes by is church affiliation. Mm. And lots of people say none, and they've become a category for Pew called nuns. N O N E S, not yeah, not not the ladies in the hospital that wear the <laughs> funny outfits, but um, uh, although frankly, magical robes are very similar mm -hmm. funny outfits. They do have um, hard yeah. habits to break. That's yeah, hard habits. Oh, I, I see what you did but, there. <laughs> but but what what goes on is a lot of the people who say nuns mean they don't go to a 
particular church, that doesn't mean that they're not spiritual people. Right. They, may, they may be pursuing individual spirituality or with a group that does uh, yeah. uh, karma yoga or, or, you know, it could be almost anything. And I feel like they're going by a standard that might have applied in the 1950s. It doesn't apply now, and uh, yeah, ninety percent of those people are are not coming from a position of being anti-spirituality. They're coming from a position of, I've heard that all before. Well, and it, I, I did a um, I did a poll back uh, before this this last election. They were trying to you know, gauge how people were going to vote and things and stuff, and and I remember they asked a, a question around to try to gauge the demographics of who they were polling. And they asked the question around uh, spirituality, and one of the question, one of the answers or responses was, "spiritual, not religious." And so I, I gave that as my answer. But I wonder how many other places, if that was included as an option, how that would, you know, change those uh, results on, you know, the Pew, the Pew surveys, spiritual, not religious. Yeah, and and there are people who are very devoted to alternative spirituality mm -hmm. that you could class as religion. It depends on, in other words, the definitions are changing. Yeah. Millennials certainly do not uh, define, they don't hear the words spirituality and religion in the same way that older people do. So they're gonna respond differently. I mean, uh, I'm religious about baseball, but that that doesn't mean yeah. that baseball <laughs> is my religion. You know, that's right. uh, it's um, it's probably a question that needs to be rethought by pollsters who are becoming less and less accurate. I'm afraid because because of cell phones, essentially, Absolutely. they're calling people that have landlines. Well, I have one; it's right over there. But uh, all, the only people that ever call me are. My youngest son, my oldest son, to tell me he's got a new movie coming out, and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and my girlfriend. I mean, nobody else calls me. All the other calls are, "Do you want to buy a funeral plot for Florida?" <laughs> right. or, or, and I say, "I wouldn't be buried in Florida, but uh, <laughs> you'll just float." I mean, that's all that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like the New Orleans graves above ground. Right. So that, yeah. Right. Um, well, I think we ought to get out of here. Is that right, Josh? We're about tapped yep. here. Uh, yeah, but, we're about I get to sing. Beckley let me sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve on his show. Uh, let's see. This will be Valentine's Day. So, yeah, give me some give me some Frank like, Sinatra. Barry White. I mean, Barry you know, White. I, yeah. I do Sinatra better than White, but... Uh, 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 give me a song. Name a song. Fly me to the moon. Fly me to the moon. By the way, that's my least favorite of all songs. <laughs> Synchronicity, Fly me man. to the moon. Let me dwell upon the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. That's a term that has changed in other words <laughs> i love you uh, we love you too alan greenfield thank you so much for joining us 
Guys, get out there. Check out his books. Check out his websites. Check out all his stuff. Give this man your money and uh, get ready. For <laughs> and I'll give my trail. wisdom in return. My great <laughs> wisdom of 74 years of of trying <laughs> and you. of course when your new book comes out let us know because we will market the hell out of it we'll let everybody know because i know all of our listeners will be very interested uh and all of that um and yeah so uh again thank you sir uh, you are always welcome yep. on this damn show <laughs> and i i appreciate that i email you and you respond so that's always a plus yes so. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll we'll call your landline next so <laughs> Good luck on that one. You'll get a machine voice that'll say, please leave your name and number, and I will get back to you. The latter part is a lie, if I don't know who you are. <laughs> no, no way, Jose. Anyway, thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. That was Alan Greenfield. We love it. Uh, God, I love you, Alan Greenfield so much i want to i want to have your babies like it's like that (laughs) very a lot of good insight there i mean um you know especially towards the end so um yeah you know there there is so much uh information out there about um all the different secret societies that are that are around the world and i like the stuff that i pulled together we talked about tonight was really just the tip of the iceberg Mm -hmm, just Um, just the tip (laughs) <laughs> and uh you know we could really spend a whole lot of time going really deep in on like pick one and just spend an entire episode talking about it but um so yeah i mean not <clears throat> thank you again alan for coming on and, and uh regaling us with your stories so. mm-hmm. yeah and you know do your own research have some fun if there's some secret societies that we didn't touch on or anything like that that you think we should take a look into hit us up um, we'd love to hear more we're always looking to add topics to our list um and again thank you alan greenfield get online buy his book buy his books you know he's he's well worth it uh, it's I've, I've reread euphonauts already once and it's it's <sighs> it's insightful so it's really cool um anyways uh let's go ahead and move to our listener story remember you can send your listener story to us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or just go to fearscapepodcast.com and uh submit a sighting there or hit us up on chat whatever you got to do we want these stories uh and this one comes from denise uh she's a blanket hugger uh listener there from mississippi so i think this is our first mississippi story So let's go ahead and take a listen. Hi, y'all. Denise from Mississippi. Uh, So about five, six years ago, I was on my way home with my children. It was dark outside, and uh, I saw this vehicle in front of me slam on its brakes and swerve around something in the road. Well, I figured it was a deer that had run in front of it, and uh, I was about several hundred feet behind. Now, when I got to the same area... I also hit my brakes and had to swerve around a creature that was in the middle of the road. Now, y'all, this appearance terrified me. It was hairless and the color of a pale white human. Human Human-like but malnourished and deformed. Its legs bent opposite of the direction human legs bend. Its face horrified me. It almost looked like it had no nose. It was extremely skinny, but really long and tall. Its fingers were abnormally long. It just sat there, 
staring at me as I passed it, going about, I don't know, about 35 miles per hour. Now, normally, if I didn't have my children with me, I, I probably would have stopped trying to help, not knowing what was going on, but I didn't that night because my children were in the car, and I'll tell you, I was terrified at the sight of what I saw. I immediately called my husband to explain to him what I saw and see if he could get someone to go check on whatever it was. And uh, he, of course, being law enforcement, went to check for himself, but he didn't find nothing there. But I'll tell you what, for months, I would not drive at night, especially down that damn road. Woohoo! Wow. That's creepy as hell. That's like a number of different cryptids mixed together in my mind. Yeah. You you got some Slender Man in there. You got some Mothman in there. You got a little bit of Wendigo. Wendigo, yeah. Ooh, get out of them woods. Yeah, girl. I'm glad you got out of there, Denise. I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> glad your kids are okay. Uh, but yeah, very, very scary story. We thank you so much. Uh, and again, just a reminder send those listener stories to us we love to hear them we want to believe you so uh anyways uh yeah that's that's pretty much the show josh i mean that's that's where we're at dog yep that's uh that's the show that's the show so make sure you know check out <laughs> check out all the stuffs especially fearscapemedia.com so you can check out all the uh other podcasts and shows out there we've got a show astral stew on youtube uh, that we've got our second episode that's out with uh, yep. good old santosh you want to check out uh also just a heads up in march we're going to be doing some fundraising uh so we want to make you guys aware of that be on the lookout for that some opportunities to support uh us at fearscape not just us at fearscape but the entire fearscape media network uh, yeah. So there's going to be some really cool events, uh, stuff like that. I'm even going to be uh, reading tarot. Uh, I, my my Wiccan magical name is Phoenix Moon, so I'll be reading tarot for people. Um, all kinds of really cool stuff, Josh. I'm super excited about March. Yep, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to start maybe reading Darrow. That would be Ooh, fun. reading Darrow. Yes, they're nice people. <laughs> but, no, yeah, a lot of good That's stuff I've coming. Heard. I've heard they're nosy, though. Yeah. Like a little long in the nose. A little long in the nose, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, let's get out of here, man. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in as usual. We love you guys. Uh, this has been Stefan, and uh, I, I'll catch you out there in the distance. We'll call it the flip side um, of things. I'm going to come up with a new catchphrase, Josh. It's going to happen, but I don't want to make know, it up ahead of time. All the hollow earthers are out there. Like the flip side is just rocky underground. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so let's see. This has been Stefan, and uh, I will catch you through the earth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you, Josh? It's been Josh. The truth is now. Oh, God, I hate you. Uh, that's so good. Anyways, thank you guys so much. And remember, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky, weird, and satisfying when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.